everybody, and welcome to another Operation Sequel. This time, it's Final Fantasy XIII Part 3, Lightning Returns. Lightning Returns was, of course, developed and published by Square Enix. The director is Matomo Toriyama. The artist is Isamu Kamakuro. The writer is Daisuke Watanabe, with the composers being Naoshi Mizuda, Masuda Suzuki, and Masashi Hamauzu. It was released for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in November of 2013 in Japan, and then North America, Australia, and Europe all got it in February of 2014. The only time this has been ported is to Microsoft Windows and iOS Android. So this is it, right guys? This is the last step before this gen. It's kind of weird to be this far into the series now. and. I'm going to be wrapping up my thoughts on the Final Fantasy XIII trilogy as a whole as well towards the end. So if you're just listening to this because you just played this game, I you may want to not listen to it when I get into spoilers of thirteen. If I do, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to say yet. But anyway, uh, before I get into my history, let's do our little blurb. So this time I'll be reading out of the strategy guide, which wasn't near as helpful as I thought it was going to be. The world has nearly reached its end. The last few days now slipping away from humanity. The savior can give her own energy, her errata, to buy more time for the world. Thirteen days is the limit to how far this time can be extended. On the thirteenth day after lightning awakes in this world, destruction will come and it will be inescapable. That is when, it is said, God will create his new world. The savior has the power to save humanity's souls to be reborn in that new world, but the question is whether she has the time to wield it. Aradia is intimately tied to the Savior's holy task. To gather more, lightning must free the hearts of the people from the darkness that has consumed them. Now, that's not, like, exactly the blurb, but that's one paragraph out of probably a 20-paragraph story synopsis. And we'll get into it, but wow, they really want you steeped in the lore this time. As for my history with the game, uh, there's really not much to speak of. I bought this and I played it for probably two three hours and what stopped me from finishing it was that timer that that limit of 13 days there's actually 14 if you manage to do certain things and you can unlock an ultimate dungeon but for most base playthroughs it will only be 13 days long and time limits like that for me especially in an RPG are a really big turnoff because I like to spend time or go quickly depending on how I feel when I'm forced or I feel like I'm forced to go quickly I kind of bounce off of it uh, I actually had the same problem with Pikmin that entire series that timer looming over in my head like sort of Damocles just ruins all the fun I had but you know well I got to do it for the show so this time it just kind of forced my way through it and if you're going to have a problem with the timer then I wouldn't worry about it too much I'll, I can explain more in detail later, but as it sits right now, so that those 13 days that it says you have, that is actually all you have, but you have a lot of tools to kind of extend that time. And I get, well, I guess no time like the present, right? Ha! Time. So when the game starts, you wake up, and just like the other two games, you're kind of just thrown into a situation. You don't really know what's going on. Even though I played the last two games, I was still quite confused at the beginning of this so once you know the initial bombast gets out of the way and you actually start playing the game things do settle down and they start to explain things but that's kind of been a theme for all three of these games is you're kind of starting in the middle of things 
Here, I think, is where it hurts it the most. And that's because within the story, it's been 500 years since Lightning disappeared. But you're also seeing the same characters and the same, not exactly the same places, but you're still seeing a lot of these familiar faces and things kind of, and everybody's acting like that's normal. People aren't, you know, un okay, people are aware of all this time passing and they reference it quite a bit, like just random NPCs and you're just kind of confused of, okay, everybody's just living forever now. And it's not really until you get about a quarter of the way into the game that it actually explains what's happening. And I just finished this game last night, right? So what the game gave me is fresh in my mind and it's still not exactly solid yet. So what happened was after the events of 2, where Sarah disappeared... All the chaos that Caius left out flooded from the unseen realm, which is where all the dead things are, to the seen realm, which is where mo you know everybody is. It's your normal waking world. And that futzed around with the time. And so now people aren't dying of natural causes anymore. You can still be murdered and you know you can still die in an accident or what have you. But natural occurring death stopped. And with the death stopping, it also stopped everybody's souls from moving on and being reincarnated into other people. So it is exactly the same people that it was 400 years ago. And they're just moving on every day with their daily life. That is a very bird's eye look at it. But for right now, that's really all we need. I'll touch into it a little more along the way. So I like to always stop and take a note of what has changed since the last one. And just like from 13 to 13.2, pretty much everything has changed here. So the first being, I imagine the people who developed this really enjoyed Chrono Cross. Nah, actually more Chrono Trigger and Valkyrie Profile. Because the battle system pulls quite a chunk from Valkyrie Profile. Whereas the story has a lot of hints of Chrono Trigger, just like the last one. I didn't mention it last time just because yeah, I wasn't sure, you know, maybe it's just me seeing things into it. But there's a lot that it shares with the Chrono system, and not just because of the time. It's more where the story goes. But anyway, so the battle system. Uh, it's going to be a little hard to explain just in audio, but you still have your ATB bars. You are only a single person in the party, except for very special circumstances where you get a partner. You have no control over the partner, they're just kind of autonomous. Lightning can equip three different, they call it schemata. And it's not even the same as a paradigm. What it is, is it is a, let's say a slot. So you get three slots that you can switch between in battle. All of them have their own separate ATB bar, and they all recharge at different rates depending on what you have equipped. So what you can actually equip in there is your main garb, which is your clothes. And that will determine sometimes what abilities you have, how those abilities interact with other things, and you can equip a weapon and a shield to it. Now, of course, just these alone, that's a decent chunk of customization. And you'll spend a lot of time in the menu futzing with all of these, just those three things. And I'm not saying this in a bad way at all. That really holds a lot of meat. 
and you'll enjoy kind of fiddling with things in here. And on top of that, they also add the abilities. You can have an ability map to each of the face buttons. Now these abilities would drop off of monsters or maybe they're a quest, a quest, woo, a quest reward, or even sometimes they're inherent to the garb that you're wearing. They can be anything from a physical attack, so like blitz or beat down, to magic, everything from, you know, fire all the way up to flare. And so you basically have four blank buttons to decide what you want on there. And of course, I mean, it, it's a smart move to always have a block on there because blocking and block timing in this is actually very crucial. So you can, I had all my shields always mapped to square, right? So it, no matter the schemata, it was always mapped to the same button. And when I press square, she does kind of a block stance and that will very steadily, not very quickly, but steadily drain your ATB bar. And of course, anything that hits you will be filtered through the stats of the shield to you know how much damage you get so you know if you're not blocking something that hits for 4,000 may only hit for 97 damage if you have a really good shield now the tricky thing is here if you've been going all out on assault you won't have the ATB bars to defend so you kind of have to play this give-and-take with okay I know he's gonna you know rip something out pretty soon I better save some ATB the other layer of interesting gameplay that this adds is if you hit square right at the perfect second, think kind of a perfect guard or parrying in Street Fighter 3. If you hit that at the right moment, nothing does damage. The biggest hits in the game, okay, well not all of them, some of them you can't avoid, but most things in the game, even if it's like, you know, a really high level spell, will do no damage at all. So if you want to gamble and you only have a little bit of ATB left, you can shoot for the moon and get a perfect guard on it. I never really ran into any fights that needed perfect guard to win. I mean, the end boss was pretty close. The end boss in this is, is a monster in terms of gameplay and design. So if anything, he was really the only one that perfect guard was a good skill to have acquired over the course of the game. So if you're not very good at timing your blocks, then don't worry too much about it. You can get through all the game with just holding your block button, not having to worry too much about timing it. You've set up your schemata, you've got your weapons all set, you've got your abilities set, you get into a battle. And that as well is also completely different. So battles take place in real time, not quasi real time, like actual real time. And each ability takes away a certain amount of your ATB bar. So every time you attack, let's say your maximum is 120, it'll take away, you know, 15 units. And they, these all have visual indicators, so you're not having to worry about doing quick math on the fly or anything. You can just see the bars and be like, okay, I know this takes a chunk of bar. You can move freely in battle, not in a Tales of or a Radiata Stories way. Think of a game that has Z-targeting. Think of a Zelda game, right? Consider yourself always Z-target locked on. And your movement is not very fast when you're moving laterally. And even if you're going forwards or backwards, you're not moving very quickly. You're always walking in this locked on state. There are some abilities like Evade that give you more mobility, but for the most part, you can't manually dodge something. 
it's very hard to do that because not only do they have auto aim on a lot of their abilities, it's just you don't move that fast. So a lot of the brunt of the combat, which I do really enjoy here, it's very good, is watching the enemy's patterns because you still have the stagger gauge here. And in a lot of cases, the only way you're going to do any kind of respectable damage is after you've staggered them. Some enemies have multiple stagger states. So let's say you're fighting a dragon, you hit that first stagger point, it kind of stumbles a bit and droops its head and it just kind of sits there. If you manage to stagger it again, it will fall onto its side, giving you even more opportunities to do massive damage. So just like the last two games, you really need to pay attention to what something's weakness is or you know what their special stagger conditions because things do have some stagger conditions in this like you know the best way to build that stagger is to hit them right after they attack things like that what is missing is the actual stagger bar there is no more bar anymore um the best way i can equate it is resident evil right you know the biorhythm that you have for your health it's kind of like that the more you hit the more erratic that's that biorhythm will move on their name because everything has a nameplate like an MMO. And once, you know, you can gauge how f close you are by how erratically that biorhythm is moving. So you'll still know it's not going to always hit you by surprise. All right, so continuing on this little scenario, you've gotten into a battle, you've managed to stagger your first foe. Now is a good time to explain chronostasis. So there are a bunch of time-related abilities in the beginning of the game that you will have access to. These use what they call EP, which I can't remember what the EP stands for. Let's call them Eternium Points because that works just as well as anything else. Every enemy you defeat will give you a set amount of EP. So naturally a bigger monster will give you say 5 EP, whereas small little gremlins will only give you 0.75. One of the things you can use this EP on is in battle, and it will give you a, a host of abilities once you get further into the game, like everything from Kuraga to where it's a full heal for free without using your ATB, but instead you're using your EP. And I'm really going to screw up on all these acronyms, so if I do, please forgive me. You know, you can also have Quake or, you know, uh, a Re-Res that comes from your EP, or most importantly is Chronostasis. And Chronostasis slows down the battle, I would say, to prob less than probably a third of the speed. So things are moving very slowly, but you are, of course, moving at the same speed. It also completely fills all of your ATB bars and gives you a fourth bar that is kind of universal. So you can switch between any kind of schemata and use that fourth bar. Once the bar drains, the action goes back to normal. But that is a very important skill to get used to using because once you hit stagger, some t depending on what abilities you use to stagger, your stagger state will not last very long. So a lot of times you'll have to stagger something, hit chronostasis to keep it staggered so you can really rack up the damage. I guess that's another thing. I'm sorry, this is turning into a wiki. Every ability, whether it be melee or spell related, even debuffs, have two stats that are very important. One is stagger duration and one is stagger power. So something could be rated A in stagger power but rated E on stagger duration, which means it'll be very easy to stagger something with that ability but they will not stay staggered for long. And then of course you have polar opposites and you have some things that are right in the middle 
So depending on what you use to stagger something, that determines the amount of stagger time they will be in. But luckily, chronostasis is there, and it's not too awfully hard to get a hold of. Okay, I think that's everything on the battle system that I need to touch on for like a primer. So while the battle system is the meat and potatoes of the game, the little side dishes are these overworld segments. And like I said, there is that time limit. Chronostasis also works outside of battle, so you can spend one EP to freeze time for roughly three to four minutes, I think. And that will come in handy quite often because whenever the clock hits 6 a.m., you are, no matter what you're doing, you are snapped back to the arc. And the arc is kind of your overworld, your overworld hub, let's say. And this is where you can talk to Hope to find more lore about the rest of the world. This is where you can replay boss battles if you like, or at the end of a day, there will generally be another ability for you to gather in these boxes. This is also where you can teleport to anywhere in the world you've been previously. So at the end of every day at 6 a.m., you come back here to plan your next day. Story-wise, this is the arc that Snow built in Final Fantasy X, not X2, 13-2, sorry. And here is where you have to give your errata to the Tree of Life. Now, this can mean many different things in terms of gameplay. This isn't where side quests matter. The only time you can add things to this is... Well, okay, side quests matter, but you have to do a certain amount to earn an extra day. Every time you complete a main quest, there are five main quests. And they each have multiple steps. So, you know, you'll be on main quest one, step four. And it'll end at main quest one, step five. Think like Mario, you know, like one, one, two, one, two, two, three. Things like that. So every time you complete a main quest, you earn a day. You can also earn an, another day on top of that if you do a decently large selection of side quests. Side quests are done incredibly well in this game, and it actually makes me sad they didn't do this in 15. Because this is probably the best side quest system I've seen in an RPG. So you know how in other RPGs, you'll get to that midpoint through the game where side quests just aren't worth doing anymore if you're not doing it for completion or for a story or anything like that. In here, side quests will always, no matter what step you are in the game, be worth doing. And that's because the reward it gives you is not just gill, and it's not just equipment, although it does give you both sometimes. The reward is always a boost to your stats. So let's say you finish a side quest. You'll have your maximum HP boosted by 100, you'll have your strength boosted by 4, and you will have your magic boosted by 3. So all of these side quests are well worth doing just to strengthen your character. And I think that puts a really good incentive onto something that's kind of become rote in terms of Final Fantasy games. Yeah, it's a side quest, whatever. I'm, I'm going to get some gill from it and maybe something cosmetic, you know. So here, they're always relevant, and that's a great way to do it. And I think I said that. Personally, I didn't do enough to earn that extra day. So I'm not too sure if you can become overpowered once you hit that point. But... From what I've read online, checking things out, people are saying you can make it through the game without ever touching a side quest. 
I wouldn't really recommend it because I imagine that you've got to be on like a razor thin wire in terms of are you strong enough to defeat the end boss because the end boss is no joke. Like Final Fantasy 13 proper, it doesn't have the instant death abilities, but it's it's a bit of a beastly fight. And while we're talking about the progression, there is no standard XP or any of that nonsense. It is just the quests that give you your character boost. Actually reminds me a lot of Chrono Cross, where there were no levels, but every time you defeated a boss, you got a star, which raised your effectiveness and things like that. Now, while we're talking about side quests, there are some downsides, and that is since you have a timer with a constantly running clock, except in battle, and battle it freezes, thankfully, you will run into some things that plague open-world time-based games of like, oh, this quest can only be completed or accepted at certain times. And that does devolve sometimes into you standing outside of a locked door for two, three minutes waiting for it to open. Those parts I don't really like, and they sort of alleviate it by letting you go to hotels and you can just specify what time you want to skip to. But if you're out in the field and, well, this path doesn't open until 6 p.m., it's now 4 p.m., what am I going to do? By the time you run all the way back, it's going to be open, so you're just kind of stuck there. So it, it's it's not perfect, but it works very well. One thing I would like to touch on is, personally, whenever I'm presented with a game that has this much customization, and I, I really can't tell you how much customization is in this, it is absurd the amount they'll let you customize your character. And I don't mean cosmetically, I mean in ways that make a huge difference. I always get the feeling that I'm doing it wrong. Uh, this Gaia, this actually plagues me all through that entire series it always feels like i'm not doing something the way i should be doing i'm kind of bumbling and stumbling my way through things and that unfamiliarity and kind of uh unease about how you're doing things will generally last all the way up until the end boss because there's a lot of times where you got to make that choice of huh which outfit would be better for this and and what abilities should I stick with it and is this ability any good I'm not getting a lot of use out of it but on paper it seems like a good idea those kind of dilemmas you're going to run into and if you're the type of person that loves solving that kind of dilemma then boy you're in heaven if you're not your first playthrough will be very herky-jerky now this game I don't think is as hard as Final Fantasy 13 proper but a lot of, especially on boss fights, a lot of the time you're going to have to go in, see what the boss has, and, you know, the way he reacts to things, what moves he has, what his weakness is, and then kind of tailor your schemata around it. And just like the other ones, losing and dying is not a big deal at all because it's, you can start right at the beginning of the battle again. So don't be afraid to experiment in this game. This is a game that really enjoys you experimenting with it. Another thing that will dissipate over time from when you start the game, ha, there we are, time again, is that feeling of time management. In the beginning, this will mirror the way you feel at the beginning of a Persona game. Uh, you'll kind of get a paralysis of choice, if you're like me, where, okay, what's the best way to do this what order should we go in that kind of thing it always feels like you don't have time to do what you want to do that feeling is kind of false this game has five main quests like i said that generally can be completed in one day a piece 
It might be tight on a couple of them, but for the most part, they're all doable in one day. So you have a lot of free time to do what you want to do, whether that be side quests, maybe you want to farm a couple monsters for an ability, things like that. And then, of course, you have things like chronostasis, which add on to that time. And this is not as strict as you might feel it is at first. So, again, if that's turning you off, then push through a little bit. You'll have plenty of time. So talking about the main quest, I guess this is when we'll get into the story. This is very much a wrap-up for everything that Final Fantasy XIII and XIII-2 started. I don't think it does an amazing job at it because, well, here's a good example. Final Fantasy XIII, right? I really liked not so much the overarching story, but the people involved in it I enjoyed. Like, I enjoyed the different personalities playing off of each other. And I felt that's what was missing from Final Fantasy XIII-2. Even though the gameplay was better, and the overarching story was kind of meh. And the character was kind of meh, with the overarching story, of course, being the winner there, because that was a little more interesting. So pretty much every principal character from the last two games is here. You have Caius and Yule and Noel from 13-2, and then you have the selection of people from Final Fantasy 13. Generally, each of the main quests will involve at some point or revolve around one of the main characters from 13. In some instances, this works perfectly fine. Like for Vanille and Fang, I think it works well. Even for Zaz, this works well. But some of these characters haven't changed. And you want me to believe it's been 500 years and this person hasn't matured or changed at all? I mean, mainly I'm looking at Snow. He is exactly the same as he has been in the last two games. And... I don't like that these people have been supposedly alive for this long, but they're still the exact same people you know and remember. I think it would have been really cool to have these people change. Like, maybe have Zaz not age, but have his son age. And then instead of constantly looking after his son, he could have been, you know, mourning his son's death. Something that changed the dynamic of the way these people work. For the most part, it's meeting up with one of your old party members, fist bumping them, going, hey, how's it going? And then it's right back to normal. Every once in a while, you may have to hit somebody with a sword to knock some sense into them, because that's the way you do it. And then it's, oh, hey, back to normal, everything's good. The overarching story here, I think, works. It is a Japanese role-playing game, so of course it has more melodrama than a soap opera. Like, here it got eye-rollingly bad but you take that into account because oh it's an rpg it's a video game <laughs> you know what you're getting into so taking all that away i think lightning remains a very good character like she might be my favorite main character of the final fantasy series 15 notwithstanding i'm not sure how i'm gonna feel going back to that but the way she interacts with the world they did change her a little bit the way she acts is off almost the entire game and it's not really until about halfway through that the game actually acknowledges this of Lightning saying, I'm feeling a little off, you know, I'm not approaching situations the same way I normally do. And that was a very intriguing hook, especially when you have this character Lumina, who looks a lot like Sarah, basically playing a Joker role to your Batman. So there was enough story hook here to want me to progress the game. Oh, it's going to be very hard to talk about this without spoilers. 
So for right now, I'm going to avoid spoilers. The story also falls very hard on that good old adage of if it's worth saying once, it's worth saying five times very close to each other to make sure it's hammered into your head. I mean, there were some points where this game felt like a Metal Gear Solid parody of lightning just repeating the last word that was said, but with a question mark on it. And then the other person elaborating again. So if you have a very low tolerance for insipid dialogue, yeah, this might not be the best choice for you. Either that or just skip it because you can skip any cutscene in the game and giving my hand away a little bit. The gameplay here is well worth putting up with a stupid story if you find it stupid. Like I said, I didn't find it stupid, but it wasn't surprising at all. The story held no surprise and not a whole lot of intrigue. It was very nice to go see the characters again because, you know, I mean, uh, even Caius was interesting to see because, well, what happened after, you know, 13-2? And, of course, you haven't seen some of these characters since the beginning of the series, so I, I understand their desire to want to put all of these characters in the game. So, now I'm going to talk about some spoilers here. So, if you are interested in this game, give it a shot, and then come back and listen to this. The way the story wraps up is that Lightning is pretty much a Valkyrie collecting Einheriar. She's collecting souls that she will give to God to take to the next world because this world is dying and the chaos is eating it. All right, that's an okay JRPG story. And of course, like every other JRPG, you find a way to where it's important that you kill a God. So halfway through, you start to realize that, oh, one of the things he wants is for you to kind of dissipate all the souls that are left on there and only take the chosen with you which of course will you know include every main character from the past games uh it's really only npcs that get the shaft here and of course god is holding sarah as kind of an incentive hostage for lightning to do as she's told eventually it will get to the point where lightning is like you know god be damned i'm gonna do what i have to do to save sarah because that's just lightning and any time after the point where you get the, oh, God's not being upfront about all this, who would have thunk? That's when the story hits kind of the skids in terms of no surprise, no hook. It's just moving on because that's the only thing left to do is to move on. The theme that I thought it was going for, not just in this one, all three games, kind of, well, that kind of just, you know, fell off by the wayside. This story is very much about, uh, what's the best way to put this? It's, it's a JRPG trope by this point, but it's denying your fate, fighting against your fate. You know, the whole free will thing, you know, something that's been tread and retread over and over again in JRPGs. That I find a little disappointing because what I had thought it was going for was how the human condition can react and act in times where you don't have time. If you know what I mean. Like, the first game, I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. It's showing how people of different personalities will react when their time is taken from them. As in, you no longer have free will. You have no time. You do what you must. Okay, that kind of worked. Two, I, I did think that, you know, it was going for the... For that theme of when you have all the time in the world and all you can manipulate it as you see fit how you deal with that kind of responsibility 
because two did touch on that kind of thing of like should we shut down this timeline should we not what if we change this you know that kind of thing and then three i in the beginning and even in the middle game it felt like three was a game that was about when you have a set time that the world is going to end how do people react they do some of it here there are towns where people are just kind of throwing their hands up and go well it's going to end anyway so what's the point of doing anything and then you have other places where they're celebrating constantly 24-7 trying to get you know basically Mardi Gras all the time trying to get in all the enjoyment they can before the world ends and then you have another town that, that they just religious fervor before the world ends and there were a lot of these nice little different philosophies and then it just kind of squandered it with the fight against your fate kind of thing. I felt anyway. So I find that was a little disappointing. I would say play it for yourself and find out. Uh, because I still think it's very interesting. It's just it kind of, you know, there was that fork in the road and they took the, eh, let's go the way most other JRPGs do. All in all, 13-3 is a really good game. Probably my favorite out of that 13 trilogy. I think 13-1 is actually the weakest. Even though I think it has the strongest character interplay. I think it's the weakest gameplay wise. 2 at least went that kind of cool direction with the uh, monsters in your party. This goes a very cool, very fast paced direction. And you can see how this is just a small stepping stone towards where 15 will take it. Like, had I finished this before 15 came out, I don't think I would have been as flabbergasted as, oh, there's no kind of battle system at all. It's just free-flowing combat. So I, you can see this as a definite jumping off point into that. And, well, you heard what I said about the story. It's the reason to play 13 won't be the story when it, you're limited to just the games. I've heard a lot of people say the story is actually incredibly good if you get into all the Nova Crystallum side stuff that goes on like you know the stuff that it touches on it in Final Fantasy Type 0 and you know all the out of game resources that you can use to kind of have the story deepened for you I didn't want to do that because well that's kind of like you know when I played Warcraft a lot of the out of game lore stuff is really cool but what really counts is what's in the game. And so I took all three of these at face value and I didn't want to, you know, go through the data log and then Google stuff and all that because I don't think you should have to do that to enjoy a story, especially a JRPG where there's really no limit on how much story you can tell. And boy, howdy, they told a lot of story in these three games. I don't think it wasn't worth it. Like, it's not bad. It's just kind of disappointing to me that it had all this build-up and, oh, that was the payoff kind of thing. Before we start to close up a little bit here, I do want to state this game has a very cool new game plus system. So let's say you fumbled your way through the game and you're at the end and you're about to fight Bunavelza and you just can't. You don't have the stats, you don't have the equipment, whatever it is, you're, you're just finding it too difficult and... I can't say I blame you too much because he's a bit of a wall. I mean, it's a four-phase boss fight, and he doesn't joke around in any of those four phases. But let's say you just can't do it. You don't have to start over from scratch anymore because right before the boss fight, there's a Mog, 
and there's this crystal. If you go to Mog, you can do some last little bit of synthesizing where you combine abilities to make them stronger, or you know maybe you can upgrade your equipment a little bit, any things like that. The, what the crystal does is it sends you back to the beginning of the game with everything you have currently. The only thing that gets reset is quest uh, progress. So you basically can make a run through the game, go back to the beginning, still have everything you had, barring you know key items and quests and stuff like that, and do it again quicker. But the side quests will still give you stat bonuses. There does come a point where you, if you go so many cycles, it just stops. Kind of think like, you know, Dark Souls, New Game Plus 8 isn't different from New Game Plus 7. There is a hard limit where you can't just keep doing it over and over and over again. But I really like that they gave you that option to where if you're just not set up for it, it's all right, go ahead and do it again. And now you can do it so much quicker and get so much more side stuff done because, well, you know what to do now. And I think that's a really good option. So this concludes the trilogy of Final Fantasy XIII as a whole. This is really good. Like, in the moment playing it, it felt better than most of the other Final Fantasies I've played. Now, that could just be because it's different, and I'm getting a little burnout on Final Fantasy by this point, but I think it doesn't deserve near the amount of hate it got. I don't know exactly what people were looking for when these came out, but... If you were somebody that kind of snubbed it or turned your nose up at it when it came out, give it a shot. It's incredibly cheap, and I guarantee you at least one of these battle systems will hit you in just that right spot where you're smiling like an idiot the whole time you're playing because the battle system is so fun to be in. The fact that Square is willing to constantly change Final Fantasy is amazing. There's really no other series that even has gone half this long with entries with completely different battle systems every time. I mean, sure, if, if you're talking like 1 through 4, yeah, they're fairly close. And even 4 and 5 and 6 are fairly close, but they all change it just enough. Now, you know what, because 5 has the class system and 6 has the giant amount of people... But even if you say from 1 to 6, okay, let's count that as that's one battle system with small minor tweaks along the way. 7 through 13-3, it is amazing the amount of innovation that they've added. And the problem I see with this is this is a real dichotomy. Because you have a bunch of people that are mad at Square because what's wrong with turn-based battles? Because turn-based battles can be a lot of fun. Just the good old-fashioned turn-based systems can be a lot of fun. I still have a soft spot for them. And then you have newer people who don't want that. So I think Square is kind of boned no matter which way it goes. But the fact that they're never willing to let it go stale in terms of gameplay, it, I think is highly laudable. And of course, you know, if you were interested in Final Fantasy, you've probably played 15 by this point, And you realize that they change it all completely again. And it took a long time to do so, but I think it was worth it if you're going to take a long time between games to change it. Now, they didn't with the trilogy, and you can really tell in this trilogy that assets are reused out the wazoo. Like, you can tell not a lot new was made for each pre... Uh, not prequel, sorry, sequel. And I think that's a price you gotta pay if you want, like, quickly turned around games like this. 
So, yeah, that's my final verdict, is if you snub this, give it a shot. It ain't gonna cost you much, nothing but time. And, <laughs> well, that's a, you know, apropos of this trilogy, so give it a shot. Now, I am jumping straight from 13.3 to 15, because I, I can't put time into 14 anymore, man. Like, I have way too many games to play to be stuck in an MMO. And that's the thing. I mean, I have played 14. I played the base game all the way up to Circus Tower, I believe, was the last raid I did. And then I stopped for a bit, and then I came back in Heavensward and played a good chunk of Heavensward. I'm sorry, I'm not as specific, just because, you know, I was just grinding out jobs at that point and doing old raids I hadn't done. Things like that. But I think out of all the MMOs I've tried, right? Because I used to be a big MMO player. I played WoW. I played... Uh, what was that one from Korea that was supposed to make a big splash and then didn't? Was it Terra? Was that the one with the angels? But anyway, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, City of Heroes. You know, a whole bunch of MMOs I've played. And all of them kind of didn't stand up to WoW. They just didn't. Until Final Fantasy XIV. I think if you're looking for an MMO to get into, and even if you have a slight amount of history with the Final Fantasy series, 14 is an amazing game to jump into. Now, uh, do keep in mind, I didn't play the base base game. I played a Realm Reborn base game. So I didn't play it back when, evidently, it was just unbearable. So, yeah, if you're an MMO-type player, and I think that's something that this game can trade on that other series can't, is... This is an incredibly rich history to choose from. So, if you have any kind of nostalgia for old Final Fantasies, 14 is a great way to go. I really enjoyed a lot of the things that they did to change up the MMO formula. Alright, so that's 13 trilogy done. A little bit of something on 14, I'm sorry, I just, I just can't do it. Next is 15, and that's the end of the road. Craig has planned to join me for 15, but he's got a lot of stuff going on, so I'm not too sure if he's going to be able to, but I guess you'll find out when I do. So we will see you next time for the final step of this Final Fantasy series. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time.